You're listening to the Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're in a series right now called World Upside Down, where we're looking at the book of Acts. 2,000 years ago, a movement began that completely changed our world. It started with a small, unremarkable group of people who had a remarkable message that Jesus is Lord of the entire world. So join us as we study the book of Acts and discover the message that turned the world upside down. And if you need anything at all, be sure to reach out to us at hello at tablechurchdsm.org, or you can check out our website, tablechurchdsm.org. Thanks for listening. You may have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. As I get situated here, go ahead and grab your Bible if you have it, and open to Acts chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, be sure to raise your hand high in the air, and... um, One of our ushers will bring you one. And if you do not own a Bible, you can keep the one that we give you. We just want you to have a copy of the Bible. So, obviously, you can also pull up your phone, look it up there. But um, I really love seeing the text in your own copy of the scriptures. And so, if you have a Bible, be sure to open to it. And and I think you won't regret it. So, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. 8 26 to 39, and uh, as you turn there, I want to mention something coming up. A week from today, we have an event called Table Talk, and Table Talk is specifically for folks who are new to Table Church. Uh, So if you've just started attending Table Church, or perhaps today is your first time here, um, I want to invite you. It's going to be 5 o'clock a week from today at our ministry center um, that's just a couple miles down the interstate, and it's just a small building that we own with our offices and some other space for ministry. Uh, so if you'd like to come, it's just gonna, we're going to buy you a meal. It'll probably be pizza or something like that. So we'll buy a meal for you, and you'll get a chance to uh, ask any questions you have. You get to meet the staff. We'll explain kind of who we are as a church, where we come from, why we're here, and how you can get plugged in, stuff like that. So it's just kind of an informal setting where you can get to know some other people like you who just started coming to Table Church as well. Sign up on your connection card. Just write Table Talk on your connection card, and we will get you plugged in. I'll be in touch with you this week. So in our, in our first week of this series, and we're in a series on the book of Acts right now, it's called World Upside Down, because in Acts chapter 17, we'll be getting to this in a couple of weeks, in Acts 17, uh, they accuse the disciples, the Christians, they say these people are turning the world upside down. Because they are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And in the ancient Roman world, Jesus was not Lord. There was a Lord, and his name was Caesar. And so when the Christians come along and say, no, actually, Jesus is Lord, well, that can upset the apple cart a little bit. They are turning the world upside down with this gospel that they are preaching. And we said uh, the first week of our series that if we were to boil the book of Acts down into one sentence, it would be chapter one, verse eight. Chapter one, verse eight. Here's what it says. Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is Acts in a sentence right there. And we learned last week that Jesus' words were coming true. As the book unfolds, we see this happening. His followers were witnessing in Jerusalem and in Judea. And by the beginning of chapter 8, they had made it to Samaria. But what we found out last week is that they got to Samaria, probably not in the way they would have preferred. 
they did not go to Samaria as missionaries. They went to Samaria as refugees. They were forced from their homes due to violence, and so they scattered out into distant lands, and they took the gospel with them when they went. And sometimes I feel like, um, you know, I wouldn't wish a tragedy upon anyone like that. They were forced due to persecution and threat of violence or death. Uh, however, it seems to me that a lot of times uh, we choose comfort over mission, you know? And when comfort's no longer an option, all they had left was mission. And so that's what happens. They shared the gospel with the people that they were with. See, what looked like a disaster was actually an opportunity for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus. The persecution of Acts chapter 8 leads to the evangelization of the world. And so today we're going to see the final stage of Jesus' words starting to come true. Ministry to the ends of the earth, Jesus said. When you read Acts chapter 8, the passage we just read together, when you read that, it is easy to assume that the main character is Philip, the evangelist. Okay, we just read about him. Um, I'm sorry, we didn't read about him yet, did we? I didn't actually read it. I told you to turn there and then I started preaching. Let's go read the passage, shall we? Sorry, Trevor, with the slides. Getting them all out of order here. Okay, here we are. Let's read about Philip the evangelist, shall we? It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. By the way, some of your translations might say instead of Candake, it says Candace. So if you know anyone named Candace, now you know what their name means. Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was, like, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out, up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. There we have it. So, as I was saying, when you read Acts chapter 8, the passages that we just heard, it is easy to assume that the main character is Philip. I mean, isn't that who the story centers around? But as we walk through this passage today and we unpack it and shed a little bit of light on it, I want you to ask yourself the question, who really is the main character of this story? So let's dive in. Verse 26 again. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, it's important. Luke, who wrote Acts, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts and they're actually kind of one book. Like, uh, Acts is the sequel to Luke. And so you should always read those two together. 
And the thing that you notice about Luke is his style of writing is he adds a lot of details. If you read Luke and Acts, you'll notice the chapters in Luke and Acts are, are bigger than most other books in the New Testament. They're really long. That passage I just read was really long. Uh, Philip just, he's kind of long-winded. He, he explains things really well. In fact, I think that Luke wrote the majority of the, or more of the New Testament than any other author, even though he only wrote two books and Paul wrote several more. And so Luke likes to write. He's got words. And so he gives us details. And here's one detail he gives us that we shouldn't miss. He says, it's the desert road. Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, the reason he tells us that is because he knows that perhaps someday people will be reading his letter or his book that weren't familiar with the road from Gaza to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and that would be us. So he wants us to know that it is a desert road. And what we also know now is that Gaza at the time was uninhabited. It was just kind of ruins at the time. And so what this means is that this road from Jerusalem to Gaza uh, would have been very, very sparse. Hardly anyone took this road. There was hardly ever a good reason to go on this road. Number two, it might have been actually kind of dangerous if you did go on this road because it was so uninhabited. And so the people you came across really might have been robbers or people who were trying to stay out of the way of others. And so the Holy Spirit is telling Philip through an angel to go somewhere that's probably deserted and for that reason maybe a little dangerous. And we also know that not only was it a deserted road, it was also a desert road. <laughs> so it was very dry and probably very hot and just a place that most people didn't want to be. Now, isn't it weird that God never gives an explanation for the things he asks us to do? He's just like, go to this road. And Philip's like, why do I need to go there? And I mean, I'm sure that's what he wanted to say. That's not what he does. But if I were him, I'd be like, why do you want me to go there? Look, I just got back from a road trip with my family. We drove like 10 hours to the Black Hills in South Dakota and back. And uh, look, every time, like we're driving down the interstate. My kids like to know where we're going. And so I turned my turn signal on just to get some gas. And it's like, dad, dad, what are we doing? Where are we going? What's going on? Dad. It's like, they want to know where we're going. I ended up like plugging in the GPS. We got a new van. It's got a little screen up there, you know, that's pretty cool. We'd never had a car with a screen in it before. And they can see the GPS so they can see where we're going now. And they like that. We like to know why, where we're going and what we're doing there, don't we? And yet God rarely gives us that information. Like if we had a crystal ball and could see ourselves a year from now doing the thing that God is calling us to do today, there's a chance that we would be like, no way, <laughs> I ain't doing that. Like if I could have seen the future, hey, guess what, Phil? Five months after you moved to Des Moines to plant a church, there's going to be a global pandemic. It's going to like almost wreck everything. And it's going to, I'd be like, no, I'm not doing this. I think the reason why God doesn't tell us a lot of times why he's telling us to do the things we do is because we wouldn't do it if we knew. And what we find in the middle of it is that his presence is what makes all the difference. Like you can't get that from a crystal ball, right? If you could somehow see the future, you wouldn't be able to get that other criteria. You wouldn't be able to see the fact, but yet there is this joy in my heart, even through these circumstances. There's this trust that I have that God is with me because I've seen him. He's seen me through it. I've seen him move and I've seen him work. And so God doesn't tell Philip why he needs to go there. God's got something going on, but he doesn't let Philip in. Philip simply says, okay, I'll go. So he started out, verse 27. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, 
an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip goes to this road. He sees a eunuch. What's a eunuch? A eunuch is a sterile man who became sterile through either natural or unnatural means. Uh, We'll just leave it at that. Um, And then he's also from Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia, uh, oh, before we get to that, we also should know, it's clear he's a very important, important and influential man. Now, eunuchs were often promoted to high levels of leadership within the court because I guess they could be trusted more. They weren't as, I don't know, susceptible to temptation and such. And and so they're more reliable. And so a lot of times eunuchs were kind of people that were highly trusted within within the palace. And so uh, that's what this guy was. He's over the the queen's entire treasury, it says. Like he's the, the queen's treasurer, you know? This is a big deal. And it says he's from Ethiopia. Now Ethiopia, for Philip, this would have been the ends of the earth. This is the outer reaches of the known world at the time. This is like the far exotic place that, that people hear of, you know, but they don't ever go there. They don't ever meet anyone from there. That's what Ethiopia was at the time. So notice what God is doing here. God told Philip to go to a completely random place and he happens to run into a prominent and powerful person from what was considered the ends of the earth. And what's more, it says that this guy, this, this eunuch, he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was reading from the Old Testament. Look, this is like if I went to China and I saw a guy wearing a Hawkeye hat. I'd be like, dude, go Hawks, you know? Like, Judaism wasn't this huge, widespread thing in the ancient world. I mean, they had scattered out into different places in the world, but I mean, the fact that this guy is reading the scriptures and Philip knows the script, like this is quite a coincidence, if you will, isn't it? But this is important. What it means is that th- this eunuch was at least interested in the Jewish faith because he had gone to the temple to worship. But listen, as a eunuch, he would have been barred from fully converting to Judaism. He would not have been able to fully enter that faith. Eunuchs were not allowed into worship. He always had to stay on the outside. So God has directed Philip to this random place to meet a random guy. He happens to be a spiritual seeker, but he needs somebody to introduce him to Jesus. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And and so we go on to see that he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, we we heard it when we read the text earlier. It's one of the most quoted messianic texts from the Old Testament. A messianic text is a a passage in the Old Testament that we now see as prefiguring Jesus Christ. Like it's kind of pointing us towards Jesus. And that's what this guy is reading. But something we should know is that um, they didn't have chapter and verse numbers in their Bibles back then like we do now. They didn't even have Bibles. They had scrolls. 
So you've got the scroll of Job and the scroll of Isaiah and the scroll of Genesis. And, and so he's got a scroll of Isaiah and he's reading from it. And, and Luke is saying he's reading these, th- this, this passage. But when they wanted to look up an, a, a passage, they wouldn't give chapter and verse numbers because they didn't have them. They would simply quote the most popular line from that section. And, and that's how, what kind of triggered, triggered them as far as like where you're at in the book of Isaiah. And, and that's what Luke is doing here. So when we, when we hear the lines that they're reading, we should not simply think they were only reading those lines. What Luke is saying is that they were reading from that section of the book of Isaiah. And check this out. If you read in that section of Isaiah, we find a passage that is very significant for our Ethiopian friend. Look what it says in Isaiah 56. It says, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no foreigner say the Lord will exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Like this is magnificent stuff, this incredible promise. Isaiah is painting this picture of a vision where someday God's gonna throw those doors wide open. Foreigners and eunuchs, God's just gonna bless them. And the eunuch's like, and is that, when's that day going to happen? And Philip gets to be the first person to say, well, guess what, man? It's today. Like, it's happened. Through Jesus, it's happening now. And then they happen to come across a pool of water in the desert. Remember, it's a desert road that they're on. Verse 36, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And Philip gets to be the first to say to that guy, nothing because of Jesus. Nothing can stand in the way. And so he and Philip go down into the water. And as soon as he comes up, it says the Holy Spirit suddenly took Philip away and the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Now, I want to go back to the question I asked at the beginning. Who is the main character of this story? I'm going to give you a clue. It ain't Philip. And it ain't the Ethiopian. Who's the one acting? Who is the subject? It's God. God tells Philip where to go. God orchestrates every detail. He tells him to go to a desert road where there happens to be a chariot that happens to carry a spiritual seeker that happens to be reading a passage of scripture that happens to specifically apply to him. Then there happens to be a pool of water where he can be baptized. And once again, and once the job is done, God takes Philip away to his next assignment. See, what's happening in this passage is that God is taking Philip on a ride and Philip's only job is to buckle up. Like that's all he's got to do. Which gets me to what I want you to hear today. It's this. Sharing your faith is not about what you can do. It's about what God can do. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do. Listen, I've, I've spent a good chunk of my life seeking answers I went to seminary, 
finished seminary, thought, I still don't feel like I know enough. So I went and did a second master's degree. And you know what I found out? Good education, you know what it does? It doesn't give you all the answers. Good education tells you how much you don't know. Like, I, I've done all this, and nine times out of ten, my answer is going to be like, like, there's so much about the Bible, and there's so much about God that we can't know. And, and, I, and I was, in my life, this is kind of my personality, like, I'm trying to build a fortress of answers around myself so that nothing can penetrate. Like, I'll never be caught without an answer, you know? And, and then when a skeptic or a seeker or somebody comes and asks me a question about God or whatever, that I will have an answer for them. And I realize it's impossible. <laughs> like, it's impossible to have it on lockdown like that. Like, there's just, there's no way that we can have all the answers. And what it means is, is that maybe I need to realize I'm not the main character. Maybe what I need to realize is that it doesn't depend on me. It simply depends on my simple obedience to God. God is the main character. When you read the book of Acts, you get overwhelmed by all the miracles and salvations and the prayers and the answers and healings and everything going on. And it's easy for me to go, wow, that's cool. I mean, I think that I believe that happened, but it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to us. It's not going to happen now. Like, how could it? In fact, sometimes we conjure up brilliant theological reasons why what was happening then isn't going to happen now. But let me ask you, do you really think that's what God wants? Like, do we really think that after Acts ends, God's like, all right, time to go on vacation? I doubt it. And when you read Acts and you see all these miracles and you start to think, oh, I could never do that stuff. I, you see Philip sharing his faith with the Ethiopian. Like, I could never do that. I don't know enough. I don't have the answers. I wouldn't know what to do. I, you know, can I just humbly submit that when you think that way, that you are making yourself the main character, not God. Because just like with the story of Philip, it's not about what Philip or Peter or Paul or John or any of those disciples, it's not about what they do. Listen, the miracles of Acts are always the result of simple obedience. They're always the result of simple, faithful obedience to God. Go to this deserted road, okay. Go up to that chariot, okay. Look, it's, it's not even rocket science. Like, Philip has just developed the ability to discern the voice of God in his life, and he just, he just obeys. In a former ministry, um, the church that I was at before here, before coming to Des Moines, I had a habit, frankly, I should do it again. I had a habit of doing weekly prayer walks through the neighborhood. And um, I would always start out with two prayers. The two prayers I would pray would be, God, give me your heart for this neighborhood. And then I'd pray, God, bring someone across my path today. And, and notice, I'm not saying, God, you know, help me share my faith with someone even. I'm not saying, God, help me make a convert today, right? Like, that's not what I prayed. I'm saying, God, just bring someone across my path. Just like bring a, a touch, you know? I don't know about you. I don't generally just strike up conversations with strangers when I'm out in public. It doesn't happen to me a lot. 
But I said, God, just bring someone across my path. Bring a, a touch that I can just, even if it's just a hi, how you doing sort of thing. And so I'd pray those two prayers, and it's amazing how often those prayers would be answered. I'd be walking along. One day, I met a guy who's carrying his groceries home, and we stood there on the sidewalk for almost 45 minutes talking about God. And, and another time, there's this guy on his porch, and somehow I, I struck up a conversation with him, and, and we found out that I'm a musician. And he says, hey, come here. Come inside. And I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, come inside. And God's like, this is what you asked for, you know. And so I'm like, okay, I'll go inside. I went in his house, and he says, come in this room. And I go into this room, and it's just like lined with guitars, probably 25 guitars in this room. He's like, that's pretty cool, isn't it? And I'm like, that is cool. And every time I saw him after that, he's always on his porch. He'd be like, hey, pastor, you know, like just I had a new friend. And it's just the, the, the prayer that I prayed, those kinds of prayers, I believe, are the kinds of prayers that God really likes to answer. I think he really likes to answer those kinds of prayers. We took a trip to Zambia last summer um, here at Table Church, and we're actually getting ready to go again. We partnered with um, our missions partner, Poetis International in Zambia. And they have this thing where um, they're in the morning, they'll say, okay, let's spend some time in silent prayer. And you need to ask the Lord to give you something that you, like a, a, a name or a word or a face or a color, something to help you identify the person that he wants you to, to connect with today. And at first it's like, what? This is weird, kind of crazy. What is but I'm, so I'm like, okay, sure, we'll, we'll do it. And uh, some of you have heard the story, so don't spoil it for those that haven't. Uh, and so we're, I'm praying, and I, just, I hear the name Boris in my mind. Boris. I don't know anybody named Boris. I mean, I think the former prime minister of England, his name was Boris. And like Zambia was a British colony, so maybe there's some Borises in Zambia. I don't know, but... Boris, and so I'm like, okay, and, and we go to this place, we're going to this clinic, we're, we're going to pray over sick people that day, and we're standing out there, and you know, gaggle of white Americans, you notice, when that is there, and so this guy comes out of the office, and he taps me on the shoulder, and he says, hey, will you come with me? I said, sure. So I went with him into the office, and there's a woman in there, and he says, she asked me to come get you. She wants to know what you guys are doing here. And I said, well, we're here to pray. And she said, okay, well, would you please pray for me and for my children? I said, absolutely. I pray over her. I pray over her children. And then I'm leaving, and I realize I never even asked her her name. And I, I turned to her, and I said, hey, ma'am, what's your name? And she said, my name is Doris. And I'm like, is my reception just a little fuzzy or something? I don't know. I got Boris, but it was Doris, you know? But nonetheless, it was such an affirmation to me that God had spoken and that he had something for me that day. And I actually have another story like that too from that trip. I won't share it now. But there's just, it's amazing when you start to ask those questions of God and pray those kinds of prayers. I think they're the kind of things that God likes to answer. But here's the point. Sharing your faith isn't about what you can do. I was standing there, you know, I don't know, twiddling my thumbs, and a guy comes and gets me and takes me to the place where I'm supposed to meet with Doris, you know? Like, I wasn't doing anything. I was just ridiculously available in that moment. <laughs> I was there. I was open to what God wanted me to do. And when you do that, we're going to see that God do things beyond anything we could conjure up ourselves. Here at Table Church, our mission is we say we exist to invite people to the way of Jesus, you know, in Acts, they, they don't call themselves Christians. The, the, the disciples, they call themselves followers of the way, the way of Jesus. 
I wish we still use that language. The word Christian actually came along as an insult. Christ ones, those little Christ ones out there. Like they were insulting them and it didn't, the Christians didn't choose that name. They called themselves followers of the way. And the reason I love that is because it helps us realize that, that being a Christian isn't a set of beliefs or doctrines. It's a way of living. It's a way of walking with God. And so we are serious about the way of Jesus. And what we're learning today is this, that to follow the way of Jesus means that you learn to recognize and respond to the voice of God in your life. You learn to recognize the voice of God. You know the sound of your shepherd's voice. In the book of John, Jesus says, the sheep know the sound of the shepherd's voice. You start to develop the ability, the capacity to hear his voice, to be sensitive to his promptings. And it might be different for everybody, but we all are able to hear the voice of God one way or another. Sometimes it comes crashing through. Sometimes it's very subtle and we have to quiet and still ourselves and train in order to do it, but we can all do it. And so we must learn to recognize the voice of God and then we must learn to respond to it. It's one thing to know that God is telling you to do something. It's another thing to actually do it. And so a follower of the way is somebody who can recognize and respond to the voice of God in their life. And we are all about that at Table Church. In fact, we, since we started, have this thing. We call it our discipleship pathway. And it's, it's a tool online to help you follow Jesus. And since we've launched as a church, dozens of people, if not more, have walked through it. And it's, you, can, you can check it out sometime on your phone. Just go to discipleship.guide and start to see all the different exercises and tools that we have. It's meant for you to go through it one-on-one, -on -one, two people together walking through learning the way of Jesus together. And if you'd like to do that, you can certainly tell us and we'll do our best to find somebody to go through it with you. Or you can just ask somebody, which would be my preferred method, um, just ask somebody to do it because there's a good chance they want to and they're just too scared to talk about it with anyone else. So ask someone to go through it with you. But one of the things, one of the goals in the pathway is to give you tools to do that, to recognize and respond to the voice of God. And one of the things we do is we talk about what's called a person of peace. A person of peace. Now that language comes from Luke chapter 10. By the way, Luke, like we said, wrote Acts as well. And so what we see in the story of Philip the evangelist is we see this idea of a person of peace that Luke had written about in Luke coming to fruition in Acts. Here's what Luke writes. Jesus sends his followers out to share the gospel and he says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Now that's kind of weird language. I don't know what it means for peace to rest or return to you. I don't know what that looks like. But I do know that it's basically saying, look, you're going to know if someone's receptive to the gospel or not. You're going to know if someone's receptive to the thing that you have to offer. And if they are, then stay there. Stick with them. If they're not, then move on. And you know, that is so liberating, isn't it? Because when I was in high school, I was the kid who was like, I got to find the meanest person in my school. I got to find the most, like, like, I don't know, fierce atheist, and I got to convert them to Jesus. That's like what God has called me to do, which by the way, maybe God has called you to do that. I don't know. But I can also say that this passage is saying that doesn't have to be the way it is. That like God is at work in people's lives long before we ever show up on the scene. Remember, God is the main character. God is working in people's lives long before we ever show up. And our job is to simply discern the ones whom God is working in. And God may go at different paces with everybody, but 
God is going to bring the person for that person and they're gonna bring you for this person, whoever God has brought. And Philip happened to be, God said, I need you over here in this desert road today, Philip. And so he went. And so our job is to start developing the ability to, I don't know, find a person of peace. The person who's like kind of into what you're saying. Maybe there's somebody at work that you can think of right now. They, they know you're a Christian and they're still your friend. Like maybe that's a good sign, right? That, that, that maybe they are interested in something deeper than just talking about the game. Maybe they're interested in God. So Jesus teaches his followers the same thing we've said today. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do. Find the person of peace, the person that God's already working in, the person who's interested in what you have to say and go that direction. See, the thing we forget is that God is at work in people's lives before we ever show up. And like I said, it's freeing. Your job is not to crash through brick walls. Your job is to be quiet before God to learn to recognize the voice of God, to see an opportunity, to have ears to ear and eyes to see, to recognize God's voice, to, have the, to develop a simple, clear spirit that is free of worldly distractions and constraints, that has spent time in the scriptures, spent time in prayer, learning to identify the heart of God. That's our job. Look, a disciple is not someone who produces miracles, someone who's simply available to be used by God when the time comes. That's what Philip was. He was just really available. Go to this road. Okay, I'll do it. But that requires us to build lives that are rooted in listening prayer. And so we must become people who recognize the voice of our shepherd who ask God to open doors and then have the faith to step through them when he does. That's all Philip does. Like I said, he's just ridiculously available to God. The angel says, go here, and that's, that's what he does. He responds to God's prompts, but he's also ready to give biblical answers when the Ethiopian has questions. He says, who's gonna explain this to me? And Philip's able to do that. But listen, Philip never went to seminary, all right? You know what Philip did? Philip was part of the community. He was simply a part of the church the body of believers, and they would regularly open the scriptures together and learn from them. That's all Philip was. That's what he did. That's just what we're doing right now. They would open the scriptures together regularly, and they would learn from them. He didn't go to seminary. This is something anybody can do. Now, last week I issued a challenge. I said, hey, let's make it our goal this summer to, to invite someone to church. But I want to keep that challenge, but I also want to broaden it a little bit and just say, what if we just said, instead of inviting someone to church, who's your person of peace? Who's your person of peace? Remember we said this before a few weeks ago? Who's your one? Who's the one person that God is saying, hey, I want you to love that person. Look, we're not trying to win converts. We're trying to love people the way Jesus loved people. God takes care of the rest. You're not the main character. Your job is to just step into that river of God's movement already. Carrie Newoff posted a statistic on Twitter, and I found it hard to believe, and so I had to look further into it, and I think it checks out. I still found it hard to believe, and so I'm not going to share the actual numbers, but I think, I think the, the gist of it is true. But research shows that the vast majority of people, the vast majority of people, 
would say yes to an invitation to church. The vast majority of people who don't go to church reportedly say that if they were invited, they would say yes. However, the vast majority of Christians never invite anybody. <laughs> and so maybe it's time for us to stop looking at ourselves as the main character. Like we're just here, our job is to be available to God and let him do the rest. Who's that person of peace in your life? Who's that person that God might be prompting you to, to love more, to pour into more? And, and what I would love to be able to do the next few weeks is to pray over your person of peace. I suspect that some of us here have a name. You have some, maybe you don't want to ever accept the fact that this is the person, but, but you know it kind of is. Um, would you write their name on the connection card? Maybe you don't know yet. Maybe your prayer right now is like, Lord, I need a person of peace. Like, look, I'm with you here. If anyone's in a Christian bubble, it's me, right? Like, I just talk to Christians all day, you know? I mean, I have, I have outlets and stuff, and I'm at Smokey Row all the time and whatever, but I am as much in this sermon as anyone is, and so maybe for some of us, it's like, God, give me a person of peace. Maybe you already have that person. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to write their first name on your connection card, and I'm not going to be calling you and saying, hey, have you shared the gospel with, gospel with Joe yet this week? That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray for Joe with you. I'm going to pray every day by name for your person of peace for the next couple weeks, and we're going to stand back and see what God can do. All right? And we're going to remember God's the main character here. We just got to trust that God loves his people and that he's pursuing them. So as we sing this next song, go ahead and write that name on your card, and I just would love the honor and the privilege of praying alongside you with those people in your life. Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask now that you would pour your spirit upon us, that you would anoint us, Lord, to preach the good news, just as, um, just as we read in Luke chapter four, that your mission was to preach good news to the poor. Lord, I ask that today we would be people who are on fire with the gospel, people who are, have hearts full of love for a world that is dying. And Lord, that we would, I don't even want to use the word courageously. I'm not, sometimes I'm scared to do the things you ask me to do. I want to be a person of faith more than anything. Somebody who trusts that even where my courage falls short, that you are enough, that you've got it. And so give us faith. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, to discern, to know your movement and to un understand when you're opening doors, to pray the prayer, God, give me my, your heart for my neighborhood and bring someone across my path today. Lord, I pray over every person of peace that's represented in this, in this room, that's maybe written on a connection card already. Lord, I ask that you would stir within their hearts the movement of your spirit and that we might be able to be the person, the people that connect them to you one way or another. We love you, God, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.